How are you doing, Father Anthony? Uh, I'm all right. I, I, I got a lot of work done today, and I took a nap, and I drank a coffee, and now we're here. What's, what's up with you? Amazing. Amazing. Yes. Uh, I, I'm still on my cooking thing. Your cooking thing. Cooking like a person, like a human does. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, so this has been one of the little blessings of this time for me personally, and it's helping me re, re, uh, reevaluate things a little bit. Because when, you know, pre these days, uh, things were so busy that like maybe you had 20 minutes and you would have like, you'd throw a couple pop tarts in the microwave and, and, uh, sorry, pizza pops, not pop tarts. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't blink at the pop tarts in the microwave. You can do that too. That's a, that's nah, a, yeah, I guess you can do that too. I mean, but those are toasters, yes. right? Anyways, uh, um, you know, throw a couple pizza pops in the, in the microwave because that's, you got 20 minutes between things and that's all you got mm-hmm. time for. And you don't really eat well when you're busy. Right. And so the slowdown has forced me to eat better because I don't want to go out as much type of thing. And also, uh, just to cook more. So I, as I've been getting through my freezer and getting through different meats, I had all this beef, these beef patties set aside to be cooked. And I was like, I'm going to break these up and make some chili, some homemade chili. Yeah. The problem was I, I was stupid when I bought the beef. Okay. Cause they were like Costco, like, two two rows of six massive beef patties like two kilos of beef like four pounds of okay. beef and i never separated it like pulled the beef apart oh wait you froze it all at once yeah yes. so you didn't like phrase it phrase it in like little bits so because right. i was stupid so you just had to go for it so and like and it was taking forever i was like i need it's already out and i gotta cook it so i started th- threw the whole thing in the pot mm-hmm. And I let it to get warm enough, and then I can finally separate the two rows so I can get the wax paper out of there. Oh, wait, wait. So you threw, like, the whole container in a pot? Because it wouldn't – nothing would separate. It was so frozen. Haven't you ever – like, you run it under, like, warm water. Like, you, you I did that, but it would it was taking too long still. So it was just – I feel like there was a better way to do this than throw the package in a pot. There probably was. But do you know what? what? It's too bad. Well, because here's the thing. If I go to red – I can't throw the stuff that I threw underwater back into the freezer either. So it's like – no, We're no, you don't. You won't. You, you keep it packaged, and then you run water like over the packaging. You don't like just put the beef in water. Oh, I didn't. Even yeah, that. that's like how yeah, you do it. So like I go. know nothing, and oh, okay. I know this thing, Harrison. Okay. Well, you don't just I'm like. Sure you don't all make these and beef stew. Screaming at me. <laughs> it's okay though. But, okay, it worked so, out. I'm happy for that, you. That, that's like that's like four and a half pounds of beef. Yeah, it's a lot it's of beef. A lot of beef. <laughs> a lot of beef. So like, I'm going for it. We're making a massive pot of chili now my chili recipe is is very i in the sense i don't have a chili recipe mm-hmm. you just follow your heart I, yeah it's beautiful my gut mm-hmm. you know i let the holy spirit move mm. me so we, we throw the the beef in let it cook it's cooking it's simmering and then after that we uh throw in the green peppers i was thinking i bought an onion to put some onion but i'm not a huge fan onion fan mm-hmm. so i was like eh, i won't put the onion in because i can do what i want because it's my chili yeah you can do whatever you want and do whatever I want. That's true freedom. And then I put a whole cup of chili powder in. Okay. And I let it simmer for a while. And then I put another cup of chili powder. Wow. In. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. A yeah. A cup, 250 milliliters of chili mm-hmm. powder. Twice. Two cups. Because I was just like, and it was great and it was beautiful. And then, and then you throw in the beans. I just, I do simple canned Heinz beans because I like them. I don't like kidney beans are the devil's beans, by the way, because their texture is wow. horrible. Okay. Yeah, hey. I mean, when you when you name it after a body part, why would you want to eat it? Um, I don't have enough information at my fingertips to argue about you with this. So, okay, I'll Good. just completely Excellent. agree. <laughs> and then I put this massive thing of tomato sauce in and just stir mm-hmm. it up. And you know what? It's very tasty. Great. But now I have to go out after we record here and buy some Tupper, more Tupperware containers because it's it's like a massive, massive. <laughs> like I've probably got because it's super hearty because there's so much right. beef. And so I have to freeze like 15 or 16 containers of lunchable sizes of of this of this chili. And then it's going to be great. And then it's like yeah, you don't have a lot of time. You have something healthier that you've made on your own. Delightful. And off, and off, oh yeah, I forgot about the salt and pepper and a little bit of oil in there too. But yeah, that's fine. Simple, it's easy, and it's super tasty. <laughs> this is good. I am proud of you. Have you ever cooked chili before? I have never cooked chili before. Is it because there's no tortellini in it? 
ravioli? No, it's it's not it's not an ethnic thing. Uh, but um, it, it's it's just not something that uh, I've I've tried to. do. I mean, if you think about it, chili is mm. just American style bolognese. Um, <laughs> you're not completely wrong. If you if you really think about it for a second, it's it's not that far it, off. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's a fair. I mean, it's, 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 it is different, but you know. Anyways, yeah. So welcome to Cleric Speaks. That's what's going on with my week. It's been great, and now I got a lot of chili, and I'm very happy. So welcome to Cleric Speaking. I am Father Harrison. Oh, I'm Father Anthony, and I have a question. I have several questions to Father Uh-oh. Harrison. I've been dying to ask you this. Oh, no. I've been dying to ask you this since uh, the beginning of this week. Uh-oh. So my questions uh, first: uh, How concerned were you when Baron Corbin uh, threw Rey Mysterio and Alistair Black off a building? Were you scared for their health? Worried about their safety? Because I was. Do you want to know what my concern is? What's your concern? That you're asking me this question at all, and that you care. Well, I'm sure that you were relieved <laughs> when you found out on next Monday Night's Raw that there was actually a sub roof that was only six feet down from the main roof, so they didn't actually go off the building. But I don't know if that excuses the fact that Baron Corbin tried to murder two dudes. I feel like there should be consequences for that. Like, you know, really but important real life ex- consequences, what would you like ex- a wrestling match. What would you salt, expect to- from a male soap opera? Uh, I just think that there should be some consequences for Baron Corbin. Okay, okay, okay. So that's not the <laughs> biggest question I have for you. The bigger question is, do you think the fact that um, uh, Drew McIntyre offered his, his handshake uh, to um, Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins accepted it, do you think this is going to be a character change for Seth Rollins? Do you think now that uh, Becky Lynch has announced that she's uh, pregnant, is this going to factor into his character kayfabe-wise? I don't understand the question, and I refuse to answer it. Well, this is horribly disappointing because I know you're so interested in wrestling. I was just dying to talk to you about these things. But speaking of wrestling and something that's a little bit more relatable to you as a person or to humanity in general is that it was my birthday. That's right. Uh, yes, Friday. happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. And I received two amazing gifts, uh, one from from uh, the last family and one from my brother. And uh, I received two gifts from Cameo. So if you don't know what Cameo is, basically you can like pay a celebrity to like send a message, a video message to somebody about pretty much anything, okay? And like I am not a celebrity guy. I, I, there's no celebrities like I really want to meet. I just, I, I don't know. I don't care. But let me tell you. This was really, really cool. So I got one from uh, the one from last family was Jonathan Coachman, and if you don't know who that is, he is a wrestling announcer, and he's not even my favorite wrestling announcer. Actually, I kind of thought he was a jerk, but he was super nice on the video and super cool. And I was like, I love you, Coachman. You're now my favorite person. Nice. It was amazing. And then there's one from from Matt Hardy, uh, broken Matt Hardy now, and it was it was just insane and amazing, and it was the coolest thing ever. So. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. How old are you now? I am the very boring age of 31. Right, because every birthday uh, after 30 just really doesn't matter except for the zero birthdays. Well, the thing is, I think 33 will be fun because I'll be the year, that'll be the Jesus year. And you have the my ministry will be com- Yeah, yeah, then my ministry will be complete, so that's good. Uh, but I actually don't think anyone's ever been 31. I think 31 is the most boring age possible, so much so that I think most people just skip it and go around to 32. This is my theory. Hmm. I've never met someone who's 31 years old. Not one single person. I don't think they exist. I'm not sure if I'm actually 31. Is any of this real? If you look at the news, it seems like too crazy to be real. I don't know even, you know, guys, I don't even know where Father Anthony is right now. I can't hear him. Can't see him. It's really weird. It's like he's disappeared in my life. Looks like it's Mm. um, this podcast is going to become a monologue, which really, if you think about it, probably not that really different. Wow. Because I talk a lot. It depends on whether or not we're talking about Balthazar. Then it becomes a little monologue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, let's go into the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica.
I'm just hey, someone said that one of their favorite parts of the podcast is when we struggled to get to the Suma. That wasn't a struggle at all. We just boom right into I'm it. Like you don't need to. I, again, I'm kind of taking a bit of my my cues from Vic. It's like yeah, you don't need to from uh, Sabikin. You don't need to transition into everything. I mean, it's it, nice. It's you, nice. It's fun. You don't need to be an excellent podcast. You can just be a very good podcast. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes, exactly. So uh, the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found uh, interesting on Twitter. So the first one is from Edith, at Catholic Edith. And she says this. This is a quote. This is something someone has said to her in her response. The person, you look like a lovely girl who wouldn't have trouble getting married. And she says... Jesus didn't settle for the souls who couldn't find a spouse and say, oh, well, since you couldn't find a spouse, you can be a priest slash religious. Celibacy for the kingdom of God isn't a last resort. And I love this tweet because uh, I don't know about you, but that is definitely a very common mentality uh, mm-hmm. out there. Oh, it must be tough that you couldn't find anyone, a, a, a spouse, so you had to become a priest or religious. Um, that isn't the point at all. It's like, oh, you, you know... You're not someone who you're not someone who anyone would want to spend the rest of their life with. So you might as well just take some form of life that allows you to be single. It has nothing to do with that at all, right? As we know, celibacy right. is meant to be a sign of kings of, of, of king uh, of Christ's reign uh, in this yeah. world, and so it comes with a call to be that sign. It has nothing to do with the last resort. And it doesn't have anything to, to do with whether you're marriable or not. Although, if you're going to enter these states, you ought to be marriable, right? Because that's yeah. our natural call, is to be married. It's celibacy is saying, I forego this good to be a real embodied sign that of, of Christ's reign, of what things will be like when he comes again, that we are neither married nor given in marriage, and that this reality can start to be lived here. Yeah, uh, I think there's been like a huge um, pendulum swing from back back in the day when priesthood or religious life was seen as like super special. And then there's been this huge swing where it's like, oh, no, like priests and religious, they're just like everyone else. And you know what? Um, I think we need to get back to the fact that if God's calling to be a religious or a priest, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen to everyone, no. and that's uncommon, and that's even kind of special. Yeah, uh, and that should be celebrated. And I think we need to get back to encouraging that and putting that in the culture, not not a kind of a, a clericalism or anything like that. But it's become so watered down and so like almost even shunned that we kind of need to get back to the fact that right. if Christ has called you all to Himself uh, in this in this way, that's amazing. It is, uh, and I think it, it part of it was. In an effort to be relatable, mm-hmm. we lost the dignity of the sign that we represent. That we worked so hard to be relatable to everyone on every level that we lost the dignity of, of how this is meant to be a counter sign to mm-hmm. everything, right? So, you know, like... Or even, like, there, I think there has been, like, uh, in p- the past, like, there were pressures on, on families, like, you should have at least one priest, right. you know? And I think you see what happens when someone's pressured to enter religious life or pressured to enter seminary. That's no, that's no good. We don't want that. Um, nor do we want, you know, people lording this sort of thing over them. But, like, why can't we say... Like, when someone meets somebody and they fall in love and they get married, we think that that is special and amazing. Yeah. So why can't we just think that priesthood is special and amazing? amazing. Yeah. And it's not. Like, and it, why do we be so afraid that we always have to qualify? Yeah, it? exactly. This is what bothers me. This is the whole thing. This really bothers me that we always have to. We always have to be PC. We always have to qualify it. Like, oh, it's amazing you're called to be a priest. That's that's your vocation. It's not better than anybody else's vocation. Why do we have to keep doing well, that? Well, it's also like, the sign is better. That's the other thing. This is the thing that we we. But the problem, the reason we can't say this is because people refuse to. Humbly submit themselves to hear what that means. Yeah. When we say the sign is greater, it does not mean that you and me are greater than lay people. Right. It just means that the sign we live is closer to the reality of what heaven is. Yes. And there is a great sign value in marriage, true, right? That's the sign of Christ's love for his church. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're living the eschatological sign, right? The sign of what things are going to be like at the end of time. 
an embodied unmarried state in where we are neither married nor given in marriage. And we they become right. a sign of that. And so it's a sign of Christ's victory. Doesn't mean I'm better, but it just it's the fuller relation it's the fuller revelation of what Jesus will bring about. That's all. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't mean that I'm going to be a better saint than a layperson. It just means that what the sign is reveals something more. Right. And I think it's also this weird, uh, we as Christians should celebrate each other. So when mm-hmm. someone is, is, you know, given in marriage, like we should just celebrate that. If someone is called to the priesthood, we should celebrate that. Uh, there doesn't need to be like, oh, well, we need to be very theologically accurate about everything. It's like, nah, settle down. That's not what you do mm-hmm. when, when someone's been given a great gift. You just celebrate mm-hmm. it. That's what a Christian does, mm-hmm. you know? So those are my thoughts. Yeah. What do you got? I've got something from Andrew Egger at Edgar DC. It's a he's, he's quoting President Trump. Uh, the President Trump's tweet is transition to greatness, and he says, "Me trying to convince myself to shower at 11 a.m. on a quarantine Saturday." That is his transition. Or to greatness. quarantine Monday, or quarantine Tuesday, or, uh, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday. <laughs> this is this is what the children call a mood. This is um, this is you know, uh, yeah. So I uh, the. Um, we've all been, been more or less quarantined or something for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if you're like me, you've had, you've had highs and you've had lows, uh, and trying to navigate this. And for, you know, very recently, because it takes me a long time to just accept the situation I am in and realize, okay, this is what's happening. Now we need to adjust to this. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've been the last like week or so. It's like, okay, uh, even if I have time to sleep in, I really shouldn't, you know, I need to make sure I wake up. I need to make sure I take a shower, right? I know all my meetings are Zoom and I don't have to turn the camera on, but I should make myself a real person in the day, you know? So I like learning how to take care of myself during Mm -hmm. quarantine is a very important thing. So if anyone else has struggled with this, I feel you. I definitely feel you. Um, so yeah, yeah. Make sure you shower before the camera. I, uh, I just had a, I just had a, I had a great laugh at that. It was just, it was really funny. And mm-hmm. uh, when I saw that, it's like this is this good content Beautiful. right here. Transition to greatness. Transition indeed. to greatness, and um, <laughs> have some fun with that tweet. And but yeah, it's, yeah, it's just it's important to. Uh, I know we 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 as Catholics tend to not like the phrase. Greatness? No. Or transition? Self-care. Oh, self-care. <laughs> right? And I don't mean this in like a selfish sense, but like just like looking after your basic needs is an important thing to do. And it's very yeah. easy to just put everything aside and to lose a sense of routine. And because and, and, like routine breeds normalcy of life, even in an abnormal situation, right? So the struggle is real. We've all been it there. Is. And we all know mm-hmm. it, right? All right. Um, I'm tr- Ooh, I have two I want to do. I'm just trying to think here. Um. If you do one, I'll just do the other one. And you can talk about both. Wow, uh, there's a few. We have a few there, though. Uh, I'm going to do. Okay, this is from Joy uh, Joy Clarkson from at Join Us to Brave. A habit I've learned doing a PhD that's helped me immensely in lockdown: ride the wave of each day. Some days will burst with productivity. Cast emails aside and let the muses sing. Some days focus will will evaporate. It's okay. Do something else. Don't waste energies beating yourself up. And I. I found personally, I found this helpful on multiple personal fronts just to hear that because when you're sitting down, you're writing stuff, it gets easy to hit your head against the wall Um, and you feel guilty that you can't be productive in the moment. And I think like, again, I think this is like, there's a deeper sense of like leisure to what she's saying there. And by this, I mean like we have this sense in kind of, a workaholism that says during my work time, I have to be very productive all the time. And if Mm -hmm. I'm not being productive, I'm therefore failing at life. (laughs) Yeah. I am therefore not a good person. Yeah, exactly. It attacks (laughs) our sense of dignity, but it shows you how deep um, work as an ideology has shaped and morphed us as people in the West. And what she's saying is throw that aside. And like, it's not to say you can be productive in other things. It doesn't need to be the work of the day sometimes. Like there are going to be days when you're working at the office and you're just like struggling to answer emails and do what? It's okay. Now, you know, obviously we we don't want it to be like, 
you know, we, we throw care to the wind and we never answer emails again at work. Uh, we're probably right. going to lose our job if we do that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Right. But more like just the sense of like, and I mean, and part of it's like a cultural shift that we all need to kind of be okay with that. That there are going to be some work days that aren't going to go well. And there's, but what happens is if we don't feel guilty about that and we allow ourselves to maybe focus on something less stressful or even less productive, it refreshes us to do the task that needs to be done when, when we go at it the next day, right? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. if you take a day of break from writing, how excited you are to go the next day because you've given things a day to stew and to ruminate in you, right? So, like, I just, yeah, I just love that tweet, and I think we need to hear that more often. Yeah, and, I, and especially, like, the ride the wave thing. Uh, like, today, I started off the day, I was very productive, mm-hmm. and I had done, like, okay, this is the work I need to get done today, but I was still in that, like, productive mode, and I was like, you know what? I better ride this out, because I don't know when I'm going to feel this energy again. So, you just kind of, like, you know, go for it. So, it depends. It depends on what kind of task you have to do. Uh, a lot of times, there's tasks that don't have an immediate deadline, mm-hmm. uh, and so you have to recognize that there's not an immediate deadline here. Other ones, you, you do, and you just have to, you know, yeah. do it. Uh but I think to, the biggest, the bigger point here, I think, is to remember that like you're beating yourself up for not being productive isn't doesn't make you more productive. Yeah. It just makes you sad. Exactly, and that's and that's there's, there's no point, point in that. that. Sadness has its place in life, but that's not one of those places. No, no. What, what do you got? This is from Father Mike Palmer, CSC, and he's actually responding yeah. to you. But I don't care what you said. I care what he said. And he says, <laughs> as they told us. In our pastoral administration class, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> I, a, a pastoral administration class? That sounds amazing. I, 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 was like, I, know I said that. I was like, class. wait, those exist? Yeah. Like, they teach you how to do administration stuff. Huh. Like, I get yelled at all the time for being bad at that. So it's, <laughs> but, I mean, in general, no is a very important thing for a priest to learn. Um, and usually we learn it after being burnt out after two years of uh, uh, of ministry because uh, we're so excited to do all the right. things and we feel guilty about not doing the things and then we crash and burn and things fall by the wayside and then we're like, oh, maybe I should say no to some yeah. things. Um, yeah. This is why it's almost a blessing sometimes not to be talented because if you're a very talented person who can do a lot of things, it takes a longer time to learn this lesson yeah. and you can do more damage to yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So sometimes... Like, no, it's important to say. Yeah, I was just tweeting about how I'm learning this art now. And like, like I actually mm-hmm. just give an example was today I got a text from a friend who was saying, can you do a kind of theology on tap talk on in a week and a half from now for our young adult group over Zoom? And I'm looking at the things I have to get done. And I said, no. Look at that. Well, I did, but I also said, I'm like, I can't this time. But actually, two mm-hmm. weeks later would be much easier for me. So I'm happy to do it mm-hmm. then, right? Like it's it's about saying like right. no, but maybe not this or no, not this time, but how about this time, right? And it it's hard because uh, now obviously I'm speaking from the priest perspective here. There is a real expectation of always a yes, and sure. the reason like I'm starting to learn this is like I was kind of hinting at it at the beginning. I'm learning about the important things to do in life that you need to do just as a basic human being, like cook a meal and go for a walk and have a little bit of time of leisure every day. Mm -hmm. And we often as priests, because we say yes to everything, don't even allow ourselves to have that. Or when we do have that time, we're so tired. We don't have time. We don't want to go for the walk. We don't want to cook the meal. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think part of this, and maybe this is something yeah. we talk about at a different time too. Like when when the church, uh, or at least our the culture, of the priesthood moves from a cultic model to a servant leader model. Mm-hmm. What makes you a good priest is the, being doing a the servant, things. doing the right. things. It's an overemphasis on this uh, one part of the priesthood that is essential. Yeah. Being a servant leader, that's a important part of the priesthood. But it has become, uh, and I think, still in the culture now, uh, all of what the priesthood yes. is. So there's a pressure, and I mean, it's one of those things. Like nobody, might, nobody will say it out loud. No priest or older priest or a priestly worker will say you're not a good priest unless you do all the things. But they project a kind of energy in your presbyterate that makes you feel yep. that. You know, and that's harder to deal yep. with. And if like you are concerned with different things, if you are concerned more with liturgy, that that 
can project this idea towards other priests that you don't care about the people. Right. But you do. You do. You do. So it's like, I think this, it, it, this kind of thing is tough. And sometimes I even feel guilty talking about mm-hmm. it because I have this voice in the back of my head saying, you are just lazy right. because you don't care about these things in the same way the other priests right. do. And like, it's it's a constant it's a constant battle for me. I think what you're describing is constant for every priest, really, if they've yeah. taking this stuff seriously, because we we also know the pitfalls of the lazy priest. Oh, absolutely. And we don't want to be that guy either. No. But the workaholism, it'll burn us out unnecessarily. And yeah, it's this. I mean, it's also because we had a. I tweeted about this the other day, like. We've created a system around the priesthood where it it thrives on codependency. Really, if you think about it, everything has to be done by the priest and the priest has to be in charge of every little thing in the parish. And it's like, I mean, it's it's a whole cultural shift away from the idea that like like around what we've talked about, like with how do we understand fatherhood and the priesthood and how do we help the laity recognize their own dignity? in evangelization mm-hmm. and ministry, like helping people recognize that when you're calling uh, the homebound parishioner that you've known for 50 years just to see how they're doing, that's a work of the parish. Mm-hmm. And you don't need father to say, yes, you can call that person, which I know is a little like, bit extreme. You can actually just do yeah. good Christian things on exactly. your own. <laughs> you, right? Exactly. You don't need the priest holding your hand through all this stuff, right? And we believe mm-hmm. that. So this is why it's important. So saying no is not just about hey, I want to be self-serving, it's also about helping the people recognize what they're able to do as well, like to help them grow up in their faith. Because if we keep people at a basic level, then we're never really helping them grow closer to Jesus. Right. Actually, something really cool about this is happening kind of in my parish, because we, you know, the idea was was had, uh, put that very passive language, that all the parishioners should be called. Mm Mm-hmm. All the numbers that we have, we should call all the parishioners. And so we actually asked the pastoral council to do this, and they started doing it. And there was at one point in time that I was asked, and another priest was asked, and we both said no, because this is something good we're teaching, or uh, uh, this is good for the pastoral council to do. And then you saw the fruits of that, where a lot of people who were called uh, wanted to join mm-hmm. in and call the people. And now they want to call and pray with yep. other people and they want to check up exactly. on people. And not everyone, you know, some of our phone numbers don't work and they want like, hey, can we, you know, go and check on these people, see if, if they're doing right. all right. And what's, like, there's now this kind of energy. Yeah. And what they want from us now, which I think is a good thing, is a little bit of direction, um, a little bit of yeah. help. Like, okay, how do I pray yeah, exactly. with somebody? Like, okay, good. Now, exactly. now this makes exactly. sense. Now there's different parts, one body yeah. working together. So it's kind of exciting. And, that, and that's, that's where you, like... We'll get into this in a second, in a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. this is this is really what the priesthood is is all about, and this is I. We are primarily we are cultic. Primarily, yeah. well, at least primarily. Now I'm not saying the servant leadership stuff, right. and the pastoring stuff and administration isn't a part of it. It is, but it's always in service and second, if you will, even to the cultic element of the yeah. priesthood that are we are ordained to pray and to fast and to offer sacrifice for the people of God who can't offer it for themselves all the time and to lift up what they do during the week. Like the act, the activity of the church is actually not around the priest. It's around the laity. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's about us hoping and helping them to recognize this because here's the other thing. If you have a priest who can, you know, maybe cook a meal a couple times a week so he can eat better, you're going to have a happier priest who's going to have more energy to pray and to offer sacrifice. And a lot of people I talk to sometimes, they'll tell me, like, I, that's what I want you to do. <laughs> I want you to pray. Yeah, most people are actually yeah. reasonable. Most people are not driving. Most of the lay people are like, oh, you only get one day off? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> um, they they don't want an overweight right. priest. So it, it's, um, it, we do this to ourselves more than the lay exactly. people do it to and us. Exactly. It's, and it's, it's like, this is something that's going to be reflected on over time, I think, as we... Because I do think we have to, I hate to say it, reimagine the priesthood in a way. Or, the, or not reimagine it, but re- <laughs> rediscover the priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to rediscover the priesthood. I need to develop my Australian accent. Um, uh, oh, no. <laughs> anyways, this actually, though, is a nice little segue into what we want to talk about. Because today, we're going to talk about contemplative prayer. So let's do that in presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for 
presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. Yes, quite. Yes. Right. What are you doing there? Is it's it smelling salts? It's smelling salts. Wake you up? Have I, haven't they told this story no. before? I was watching hockey. Yes. Uh, back in the day, this is when when the uh, the, the uh, Penguins were in the playoffs. Because that's the so only time you years watch. Ago. Yeah, it's the only time I watch. I am a bandwagon fan, and uh, I was watching and you know hanging out with my friends, having a couple of drinks, and uh, you know they told this like story about one of the Penguins players who was showing the other younger Penguin player like how to use smelling salts. They do this all the time to you know, wake themselves up and get back in the game. And the, the guy who had never done it, used them before, just stuck, like, mm-hmm. the, the smelling salt package, like, right up his mm-hmm. nose. And there's video of this. And he just, like, loses, he just, like, falls over, basically, because that's a lot of ammonia yeah. in your face. And so, on a whim, I found out that you can get a package of, like, 100 of these guys for, like, 20 bucks. And I was like, ah, I'm going to do it. So, I actually normally keep them by my bedside in case I need to wake up in the middle of the night and, like, go get a call or something. Okay. Or if it's just the middle of a podcast, I need to we'll wake, up. wake up a little bit. Nice. Ah. Good. Well, that's that's that story. Nick can decide whether or not he wants to keep it in the podcast. <laughs> but there you go. So, how is your how has your prayer life been the last couple months? <laughs> um, okay, if you're gonna say last couple of months, the short answer is bad. Okay. It's been bad the last couple of months. It's been better recently. Okay. What, what do you want? Yeah, me to like go what, deeper what, what, better? Let's, talk, let's focus on the better. What, what's what's yes. how has it gotten better? What's been going on? Uh, consistency mm-hmm. and actually going to prayer, and then honesty in prayer. Those have been the two big things for me. I was like, actually, God, I'm really angry about everything, and I'm tired, and some of this stuff is right. tough. Once I finally started like actually telling God that, I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is better now. And do you give time for silence in prayer? I do. And what what happens when that when when you do that? It's a hard thing to describe. A lot but. of a lot of times nothing. Mm-hmm. There's two kinds of nothing. There's there's sometimes a kind of nothing in prayer where it's like I'm kind of sitting down but I'm not there. Right. Um I'm thinking about other things mm-hmm. or I'm distracted or I'm just really hungry or like really sleepy. Mm-hmm. But there's another kind of nothing that happens where I'm just sitting there and I'm very aware that Jesus is right there uh with me and it's just good mm-hmm. and like not saying anything just kind of being with jesus yes and it's just like hmm this is nice. yes <laughs> it's not even like a, this is nice it's just like you just yeah. are and it's just and it can be like a few moments uh sometimes like uh i'm like reading something and i just need to put it down and it what i'm i'm not even thinking about what i just read it's just like now it's time just to be right. with jesus and it'll happen right. whenever and yeah, what you just described is a, a good little experiential display of contemplative prayer, right? Mm. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to preface this a little bit, though, because um, I want to look at it because I'll, I'll just say it up front. I think the church needs to be more contemplative. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with okay. you. <laughs> and this is something that's been, it, it's interesting. It started stirring my heart about eight months ago. Mm-hmm. But it's in the last two months I actually slowed down to hear Jesus speak this to my heart more. Because, and I want to kind of interpret our moment a little bit. And this is where it's, this is why it's really important for us to get to know the Old Testament. We need to know the Old Testament, folks, because it tells us about how God works in the world. And if you know the history of Israel, you know that things were not always rosy for them. Life was not always good. They got exiled. They, um, you know, they had plagues. They had this, you know, crop shortages. You know, you name it. Everything came their way. How did they look at those moments? In the moment, often, Israel would complain. In the moment. Mm -hmm. This is their M.O. in the Old Testament. (laughs) Things were better in Egypt. Now we have to eat quail every day. It's like... It's like we had melons and cucumbers in Egypt. It's like, okay, guys, remember though. (laughs) But now you get chicken fingers every day. I don't, I still don't understand that to this day. This is a much better thing. (laughs) So, yeah, but um, 
but it was what what would happen in Israel is often after that they would see it as God used a moment in history to call his people to purification back to their mission. And this is important in twofold because I think it's important first to hear that you know God does not directly order this moment we're in. He did not create as a first cause, the coronavirus. Okay. Right. But God uses what is active in the world to bring us closer to him. And so he uses right. this moment to purify us. And I think a lot of us have been praying for a long time, like, Lord, purify your church. And we're getting that answer just not in ways we were expecting, right? We were maybe expecting, and to an extent rightfully so, um, the exposure of bad leadership and abuse and financial scandal and stuff like this. And, And those things do need to be revealed. But these moments are about instead of freaking out about them in a way, and I'm not saying like, you know, I, I recognize there's anxieties around. I'm not talking about that, but I mean like more like, you know, questioning where is God? It's about like sitting down in prayer, constantly saying, God, where are you in this? Help me to find you here. Because that's what Israel did. They would look back and say, where was God? And often when, they, when the thing would be lifted, they would see God's providential hand actively at work. And like, so for example, the creation story of Genesis one comes out of their experience of their redemption from the clutches of Babylon mm-hmm. and seeing, wow, our God is so great. He even has victory over the gods and other places and nations. This means he's like creator of the universe, right? So we need, that's like the attitude we need to have towards these moments. So before you go any further, do you have any comments on any of that? Yeah, you're making me think of all kinds of things. Um, I think, so it's very important to have a theological understanding that, yes, God is is not the necessarily like, uh, he doesn't like make coronavirus and spread it all over everything. It's not like a judgment, like in that sort of sense. But I think there is some wisdom in a kind of simple, like, uh, Instead of seeing, of just kind of embracing the moment and seeing like, okay, what does God want me to see in this? Like to treat it as it is, which is providence uh, to, and so something about just kind of embracing that and not theologically parsing it out, I think is sometimes more helpful mm-hmm. uh, for me personally. Um, but the second thing is like, purification or like when you're purifying a metal or at least when you're used to, I don't know how it works nowadays. I don't even know how it works then. But the idea basically is that by purifying it, like the dross, the gunk, like it floats to the surface. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is what is happening. And the gunk is coming from all kinds of places Mm -hmm. or really just one place. The gunk is coming from our own hearts. And what is, what is, you know, when God does something, when God wants to, Okay, for example, when God wants to heal you, a lot of times uh, we want, like, God, can you fix this one thing? Like, there's one part of my life that I do not like, can you fix this one thing? But I have found often what God will do, he knows that one thing is connected to everything mm-hmm. in our lives. You know, so by healing that one thing, he kind of lifts all of us up. So sometimes we get confused by what God's doing, because like, hey, God, I want you to fix this thing, but you're telling me about this other yeah. thing. This is what's going on in the church. It's... N- I'll, there's a lot of stuff wrong mm. in our own hearts. And now it's being bubbled up to the surface. Yes. And like, this is part of the purification. Yes. Part of the purification is really ugly because you need to get all the ugly stuff up on the right. surface. What is disappointing is that there's a lot of ugly stuff on the surface, but we're pretending it's not mm-hmm. there. That's what bothers yes. me. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I have. Yeah. So, and I think like, and like this purification is always a revelation, right? Because the cross mm-hmm. always reveals sin. This is the whole point. This is why Jesus goes to the cross. He literally, Im- he who knew no sin became sin for us. He, it comes, like he literally embodies it for us to see it. This is the whole point of God's love. It reveals the things that reject it. And so when God mm-hmm. uses historical moments to show his love, which is also a judgment, and I mean by this a sense of judging sin, not the person, 
um, mm-hmm. it reveals hearts. And it's the problem becomes, and this is my worry. And the reason it's a worry that's been on my heart for a few weeks is will we listen to God in this moment? And I'm honestly unsure we will. I'm not sure. I really don't know. I have my worries. I'm pretty confident we won't. Okay. <laughs> um, not to get like super negative or anything, but uh, because this is this is what we normally do, or this is uh, when Christ's ministry, or when Christ was on Earth, he revealed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It was there for everyone to see. He even straight up pointed it out, basically with his finger saying, you are a hypocrite, right? And they still couldn't see mm-hmm. it. There's there's something, or even like with the prophets, like when he sends a prophet, he says, you know, you're going to tell them what's going on. You're going to tell them what's going to happen and why it's going on. You're even going to tell them how to fix it, but they're not going to listen right. to you. But you're going to give them the chance. They're able to very freely and completely choose their own sin. And you know what? A lot of them are still going to do yeah. that. Because I do think the Lord is showing us something, and, and it's we were kind of um, hinting at it in the Summa there. And this is kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about contemplative prayer a bit. And that's why I was asking you about your prayer life at the beginning, because what I've been mm-hmm. starting to note, like what the Lord's been working on, like it's been amazing. Like I will say, like, I know this is not everyone's experience, and I know for some people this has been a really trying and difficult time. And for some, a time filled with deep anxieties. And I, and I totally understand that. But we also have to recognize that for some people, this is a time of blessing as well. Right? And it's just the reality. Some, for some people, it is very difficult. For some people, it goes very well. And I'll be honest, this has been the best two months of my life. Well, I, I am glad I've been able to balance that out Thank for you. you. And, I, and I feel, and I'll, I'll be honest, I feel guilty saying that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason, and the reason I say that is because my prayer life has never been so good. Mm-hmm. This is the reason I, I say this because listen, I mean, I'm not saying everything's been easy, and um, it hasn't been. Um, like yesterday, our yesterday was the first day our secretary is back in the office. Our office isn't open yet, but she's here as we get things ready for people to come in. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the phone wouldn't stop ringing, and I was it was making me grumpy. Because I got used to the silence and I kind of came to love it. And then I had moved two meetings yesterday and I tweeted out, I said, I want to go to a monastery after two meetings. Yeah. um, But the reason I say it's been the best two months of my life is because of the, I'm judging this purely on the life of prayer I've had the last two months. And it's only because of that. If I didn't have the life of prayer, I think things would be a lot different. And it's in that time of prayer and I don't want to share everything because I do think at the same time, while it's important to share our experiences, especially personal prayer, it's a time of intimacy with Jesus that is reserved for you and him. Yes. I think it's very important. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that is very precious to a married couple that they should not just share with other people. Yeah. And that's why sometimes when some Christians talk about the some of the deeper stuff of their prayer life, it makes me feel icky because that's something that you keep for private. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, other hand, like sometimes we're just really bad at talking about our relationship with Jesus at all, and that is also right. not good. So it is is important to discern like how much right. to share in what way, and to realize that some things are precious and just for yeah. you and Jesus. And but this has been what I've been praying. Like instead of freaking out about the moment, and like again, I have my own freakouts too, and and my own anxieties about the future. Mm-hmm. But instead of dwelling on those, or rather, instead of like just dwelling on them in my own thoughts, I would let them come to prayer. And I've had a holy hour every single day, at least a holy hour, often more, mm-hmm. plus mass, obviously. Right. Um, and... I've been entering into silent prayer more and contemplation more. Now, I'm not saying this to make it sound like, oh, I'm a, I, trust me, I'm, I'm my prayers. Some often I show up and like, the, like this morning I showed up, I did my spiritual reading during prayer 
and I recognized I was half asleep for about 15 minutes of silent prayer. I was just very tired, right? And it's just what it is, but I showed up. I showed up, and I know Mm -hmm. the Lord was doing his work. And what's been coming on my heart over and over again in this moment, instead of saying, Jesus, where are you? It's, Jesus, what do you want to tell your church? Mm. What do you want to teach your church? And the word that keeps on coming to my heart is contemplation. For those who have ever tuned in to my my stream masses lately, you'll you'll notice this has become a constant theme in my preaching. I keep on talking about contemplation over and over again. <laughs> I, it's because it's the word that keeps on coming to my heart in prayer. I'm mm. also reading Balthazar's book on prayer, which is amazing. It's very and good. it's and that his book on prayer is all about contemplation. Now, why do I say this? Because just let's let's uh, take a time machine two months back. Before this all happened, everyone was very busy. Too busy, I would say. Sure. And often in the church, we were trying to find different programs and forms of outreach and different things to do to try and build up the kingdom. And I mean, it's not all bad. But how much did we, how much was prayer a part of our planning? Well, I'm sure that we said, you know, three our fathers before the planning meeting, <laughs> Father Harrison. Right. So it seems like it was a big part of it, you know. <laughs> but you see, we need to listen to God. We need to listen to him. But what if I already have a lot of good ideas for what the prayer should look like? Why do I have to listen then? Because just because it's a good idea doesn't mean God wants it. Oh. <laughs> right? We all have good ideas. <laughs> I have a billion ideas of what I could do to build up my parish. Right. Essentially, the Lord's told me to throw it all away. That's exciting is, it, and terrifying. You know, it's actually incredibly freeing. Um, hmm. And so... First, let's like okay. So let's talk a little bit. About, okay, uh, sorry, my thought. I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> and that's the okay. other thing. I'm also learning to slow down in all this. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to speak every word that's in my mind, which is an amazing lesson to learn. I'm 37. Um, <laughs> 37 is real age, unlike 31. Um, so agreed. Because we all know for the next year. Mass will not be normal once it's opened again. Our churches will not be able to do most of the programming they're going to want to do. And people will not be able to come into churches with the same frequency they used to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I hate to say it, you're going to start seeing it next year. A lot of churches are going to close. We're not going to be able to keep up what we have now. This mm-hmm. is God purifying. And this is okay. I know it's hard. Guess what? But the word purifying, like it's a refiner's fire. Fire hurts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wish I could put, but it's the cross and the, we don't lose hope in the cross because that's the means to life. We weren't listening to God at all. You know, I've been thinking about this. I think part of people's, there's a lot of reasons why people are upset that they cannot go to Sunday mass. Uh, and we all have mixed motivations for why we want to do things, and we're very complicated people. But part of me thinks is, for a lot of people, while they genuinely wanted to go to Sunday Mass, that was the only time they prayed. And when that's removed, and you see that, oh, Christ really isn't in a deep part of my life, there's a terror there to realize, like, wow, this really isn't a part mm-hmm. of my life. Um, and I was able to make myself think that he was because I went to Mass every Sunday. Yeah. And so like like that's part of purification is a realization of like it's tough because a lot of times purification does happen when it happens by good things being taken yeah. away from us. And realizing how we've been misusing yeah. those good things like or taking advantage of those good things in in, in weirdly uh, subtly nefarious yeah. ways in our like own if hearts. The mass was just our way of justifying our relationship with Jesus, but we didn't pray during the week at all or try to build up a relationship with him or respond to the grace of the Eucharist that we receive, Mm -hmm. then God has to take away that good thing because it's not doing you any good. 
Yeah. This is the whole point of purification. It's about helping you mm-hmm. see, are your intentions rightly ordered? And are you using are you using things according to what they're meant for? rather than twisting them for your own selfish purposes, right? Like, I need, like, if it's a sense of, like, I just need to receive the Eucharist every day, why? Well, I need the grace. Well, it's like, well, then you you actually need to fast from the Eucharist because you don't understand it. Because Jesus gives you everything. Everything. He gives you everything of himself in the Eucharist. And the point of receiving it every day is that it's meant to build you up for mission and to build up the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. It's actually not about you. It's about what you're, mm. or, it's about what you're, where you give yourself towards. So in all of this, and I, and I recognize I'm a little scattered in this because it's not something I've still, it's not something I've quite understood yet. But we need to become a contemplative church because like Balthazar says in his book on prayer, that contemplation is the heartbeat of the church. It is the very, like, it's the mode of operation of the church. It's what the church lives on. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to do because this is first, this is Mary's attitude. She pondered all these things in her heart and Mary is the archetype of the church. And so we see the perfection of the church in Mary. And so our attitude as disciples is meant to be Marian in character. Mm-hmm. And it means we have to ponder these things in our heart. We need to develop a Marian attitude towards life. And it means then we actually have to slow down on our programming, on our pastoral planning, and we need to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And when I say listen, I don't mean for a 30 minutes one time before a meeting. I mean for hours and days and months. This is what we need to do. And we as priests, it's going to be our job to form people to do this. So that they can recognize, like, because here's the other, this is the other scary thing. We might go through some waves where we might have to lock down for a couple of weeks here and there. Right. Can you pray at home when we have to lock down? If you can't, then like you haven't let the grace work yet. So anyways, um, this is what we need to do. So what is, what is contemplation then? And, and, and how, what does it look and why, and why am I kind of being emphatic on it? You know, when you hear the word contemplation, Father Anthony, what do you think of Oh, that's that's what holy people do is contemplation. <laughs> <laughs> that's like you know, you're just like, ooh, I'm not just praying; I am contemplating. Yes. Mm. Um, uh, contemplation and meditation, and uh, as long as these words get get a little bit right. mixed up. Um, but uh, I would say so. Like like a um, is that the other word I'm looking for? Meditation. Like one is kind of like um, like meditation is something like I am thinking about the cross and I'm thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, what does the wound in Christ's side mean? I'm talking to Christ about the wound in his mm-hmm. side and that's all very good. You know, that's like a, a good, helpful way of prayer. Uh, but contemplation is just kind of a prayer of presence and being mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of get like plucked up right. into um, and you need to like yeah. accept when that Now, happens. this is going to be the hard part. So yeah. that's usually this is the hard, the yeah, this is the hard part about talking about contemplation. We want so badly as human beings, a three-step process to contemplative prayer. We rediscover yeah. contemplative yeah. prayer. We want to know what are the three things I need to do to be a contemplative. And it doesn't work that way. And it actually, and it doesn't work this way with contemplation because it's actually not meant to work this way with prayer. Mm. Because the first actor in prayer is not you. It's God. God is the primary actor in prayer, Right. Yeah. So prayer in and of its nature is something receptive, which means it's about developing, like where our work is, is developing an attitude of humility that acts on our longing for God and says, God, I need you in my life and I want you and I need you to show yourself to me. That's our part. And that's really all we can do. The rest is patient waiting for God to show him on his own. Because here's the problem with like a three-step process. If you say, okay, I've done these three steps, then you're pretty much expecting God to show himself to you. But that's an affront to God's freedom. You're mm-hmm. saying, you ha- like, how is that loving to say, you have to show yourself to me now because I've done all the steps? That's not yeah. love at all. That's consumerism <laughs> in prayer. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's, that's happened to me before. There have been like, uh, you know, uh, I remember times or days in seminary where it's like, wow, I just have like super 
contemplative prayer and constellations for like three days in a row. And so I go to the fourth day and I'm, I just kneel. I'm like, all right, here we go. Diving right back in. And God's like, nope. no, you're going to read a book today. <laughs> during prayer. It's like, but I don't want to read a book. Like, no, that's that's what you're going to yeah. get. And you're going to get everything you need, but there's right. no there's no contemplation exactly. today. You know, it's a way of, like, and I'm saying this with some humor, but that's actually how I, I relate to God in a lot of ways. But like, yeah, it's, it's it in that moment, God is showing me that he he's not a dog who comes when you call. Uh, you go there and wait before your Lord exactly. and King, who loves you and will give you if everything you dog, need. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but sometimes we're like hey hey you in that gold box over there yeah. or you like i'm thinking about you i'm looking at the cross come on yeah come on. show yourself and to that, no that's right. not how this is gonna work it's a con- contemplation is a free gift from god but it is and it's not like here's the thing when we hear con- the words like contemplation we think that it's got to be almost something like imageless and con like without any content Right, like we're a cloud of yeah, exactly. Like I'm just looking at this amorphous blob. I'm imagining this amorphous blob Mm, and blob God, the blob of God. You know, it's like (laughs) (laughs) the the holy blob of God, (laughs) blob God's law blog. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was good Uh, for all you rest of development fans out there. Anyways, um, contemplation is not imageless because we are embodied creatures, right? So often it can be Mm -hmm. something like. Where you're doing like your lexio and you find that word that you need to focus on. That focusing on that word, that's where contemplation starts to happen, where you're just letting God continually speak. But it's not something that can be measured either. Because again, if we're measuring it, then it's not love. So often God is working in ways in a more deeper and secret way than we can see. And it's not till mm-hmm. months or even years later that we look back and say, oh, that's what you were doing. Oh my gosh. But the whole point of this is to say, like, so that, I mean, that's a very basic definition of contemplative prayer. But this is something we're all invited to do. Oh, yeah. Because this is the heartbeat of the church. And it, so it requires three things it requires humility, it requires silence, and it requires perseverance. If we do not have those things, we will not really probably engage in contemplative prayer. And those are and those are act- actions that make our heart ready. But it's especially that's when you've made your heart ready. Then you just persevere. Okay, say, God, I'm showing up today. I'm showing up today. And I'm showing up today because that's what love does. And I'm going to show up each and every day for you because I want to hear you. Mm-hmm. This needs to be our attitude as Christians in general. In a way, like, I almost feel like we need to be more monastic. And I think, like, this is part of, like, we've talked about, we've kind of joked about stuff like starting a monastery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, trust me, that's, uh, there are days where it's like, sounds pretty nice. But I think that's mm-hmm. the Lord, again, even putting something on the heart to say, there's nothing, there's something true there. Yeah. That in a way, our parishes need to become more monastic. Where we are places of prayer and formation so that the people come in. They receive what they need, and then they go out with the tools and the experiences necessary to be contemplatives in the world and to be evangelizers in the world. Yeah. And I know I know it sounds vague, and it's funny because I, I know that frustration. I know some people are listening to me like, okay, you're not being clear about contemplation and how, how it works. I know because I've been there. Uh, I've had that same reaction, like, but, but, but there's gotta be like a clear three-step system here. Like, I, but how do I, how do, do, I do it? it? You just need to, I know it sounds simple, but it's like, you gotta just show up and persevere and cultivate silence. Mm-hmm. And God shows himself at his time and he'll show himself and then he'll remove himself because he wants to purify you and he will work like the Holy Spirit prays in us and, and groans too deep for words. He's at work. And so the other point of this then is to say that this is what we need that attitude because then it recognizes that God's the one in charge. He is the principal actor in the church. And so we need to say, like, I trust God to do his secret workings and lives of others to draw people in. Yeah. We don't trust God. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we, we don't trust him with like his church. We trust them with some things, you know, but uh, not the... It gets back to what we were talking about way back in the day on the podcast about Catholic atheism. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's all tied together. Yep. So what I would encourage, if you know, I, again, I recognize this sounds vague. First, Balthazar's book on prayer is very good. It's one of his more access. It's one of his more accessible books. He's still very wordy in the sense, of like he he likes long sentences, but um, sure. it's a very good book. Reading the lives of the saints, people like Saint John of the Cross, Saint Teresa of Avila, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, are all helpful to inspire us to put ourselves in the place to hear God. But we need to all do this. And like I want to say, like if imagine if every Catholic gave God thirty minutes of quiet, contemplative slash meditative prayer a day, it'll teach us to slow down. I think it'll teach us to listen, because like God's grace is actually moves slowly, not because it's not powerful, but because we are sinners who resist His grace over and over again. And so it needs yeah. time to chip through the rocks. And we need to get... Yeah, there, there will be walls in your heart that you didn't even know exactly. were there. <laughs> so that needs time. That needs time. And to be content mm-hmm. with prayer and liturgy, a little bit of study, and that that's enough in the Christian life, in a way. At least to start off with. But in a way, and like, and that's where I'm still vague on, but... I just, like, in a way, it's almost like I see the church now becoming like a big monastery in a way. There was something that uh, we talked about in IPF, it, uh, Institute for Priestly Formation, which was basically like a spiritual summer school for seminarians because a lot of times, sadly, uh, seminarians, uh, seminaries uh, lack in spiritual formation. Um, and the, the phrase that was, was used a lot was a monastic yeah. art. Yeah. And uh, which I could not define for you right now, but it feels really right. right. And again, <laughs> like the reason we're struggling to find words for some of these things is not because they're not real or they're not even concrete, but because these are gifts from God that you need to ha- allow God to give to you as well. And you mm-hmm. need to allow, yeah. the, and the church needs to hear it. I, where I worry, it's like people, you know, people are like, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that, we need to do all these activities and this activism. To respond to things when my response is to say, no, we need to shut up and pray. Yeah. And listen, God, what are you saying? And have the humility to receive his word, even if it stings at times. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we need to develop this monastic heart. Like, I just, you know, think about if, if any of you have ever been to a monastery for a retreat or something like that. I don't know a single person who hasn't experienced some sense of peace when they've gone there. Mm-hmm. That is what God wants for all of our hearts. And he's asking us to, sh- to slow down, to listen, to contemplate. And if we do this, the church, her like her blood vessels will be pumping feverishly. And the body will be the most alive it's been. I, I think, in a way, what's, what's happening before all this is that actually it was a body... Um, squirming and kicking in its last throes of life. And so we had all this activism trying to stay alive. But Or like uh, when I, um, like in seminary sometimes, uh, you know, I would spend, I would not eat food, but I would just drink a lot of espresso and smoke a lot of cigarettes. And so I would be very productive in the morning, very, very productive, but also like really sickly and tired in the mm-hmm. afternoon because I wasn't eating right, real exactly. food. Uh, I think that's kind yeah. of like, yeah. like, this is the food that matters, mm-hmm. right? This is your veggies. You know, this is, this is the stuff that's really going to nourish you, which is mm-hmm. letting God speak to you because that's what he wants. He, he wants to do this with everyone in the church. But we don't give them the space. Yes. I'm going to use the image of steak as far as what 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 contemplation okay. is in slightly veggies because that's more helpful okay, for me spiritually. Right. Filet mignon. Okay. Filet mignon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Mm, bacon. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> we we were in the last throes, and but the way to heal the body is not to flail all over the place; it's to rest. Mm. And this is what we need to do. And I know this is sounding vague. I don't know. I don't think it is. Because if you had like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is a concrete plan. This is going to be the results. That ruins the point of listening exactly. to God. There is a reason God punished David for the sense. 
Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. we're, t- we're, we're, we're in the middle of doing census my parish right now. We're trying really hard. <laughs> so just... Cool. Anyways, so that's just, I, you know, it's more of a heart-sharing thing. And it... it mm-hmm. And this is good because I'm trying to formulate my thoughts still. And I need to formulate some more, but... Let's just contemplate. Let's shut up. Let's listen and let's slow down. And let's let the Lord be the principal actor in our lives. Word. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook, iTunes, or sorry, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, um, iTunes, wherever you find us. Please leave us a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus said we must love our enemies. You can follow us on Twitter at Clerically Speaking at Clerical Pod. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us uh, Clerically Speaking at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me in your nearest Zoom meeting. Uh, please, uh, yeah, we will talk to you guys next week. So God bless you all. Peace.